Hey, it's Dave. Before I get to the regular intro and everything, this episode with Scott O'Neill was recorded before Scott stepped down as CEO of Harris Blister Sports and Entertainment. I've been away on holiday and I had to figure out a way to import the file of our conversation. So um, this has kind of been delayed getting out a little bit. Um, I Because I did everything before Scott stepped down. I didn't change anything about the intro. I wanted to give it to you in the form uh, that I had initially recorded it. But I also didn't want to not acknowledge the fact that Scott has left his role since then. Um, It changes nothing about the conversation. This is probably one of the best conversations that I've ever had on the Business of Fun. Uh, Scott was great to connect with, uh, great to talk about. We probably didn't touch on anything sports related, which... um, probably is the stuff that matters the most. So I hope you dig this conversation and I'm going to let it go just the normal way now. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Business of Fun podcast. It is me, your host, Dave Wakeman, and my guest today is Scott O'Neill. He is the CEO of Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment, and we are talking about his book, Be Where Your Feet Are. And I'm going to tell you from the very start that I really enjoyed the book. Uh, I stayed up until one o'clock in the morning the night before Scott and I talked to finish the book, and I'll warn you right now, we didn't get into a lot of sports business stuff. So if you're just looking for sports business insights, this is not the podcast for you. But if you want to hear two people talk about um, success and failure, um, you know, teaching the value of being a coach, uh, teaching, learning, making mistakes, evolving over time, all of these things. And this is going to be a great conversation for you. And I have to say, I thought it was one of the better conversations that I've ever had doing the podcast. So we'll get to that in a second. Uh, But first, uh, make sure you come see me speak at Ticket Summit in Las Vegas in August the 15th, 16th, and 17th. I will be in town. Uh, I'm not sure about the time of the panel yet, but you can get your tickets at TicketSummit.com. I'm hosting a panel on pricing. Um, I've got a representative coming from the UFC. I've got uh, Mike Garvey from Prolific One. Uh, I've got Josh Ludwig from Ticket Reset with TRT. TRT is right. I've got a whole bunch of people. I've been working on one or two other people. It's going to be great. Make sure you check out my friends at Booking Protect. I was talking to Simon. He showed me some data that t- told me that people are taking up refund protection at twice the rate that they did before the pandemic. That's a clear indication that people are looking for peace of mind, security, um, and you know, just certainty coming out of the pandemic. To you know, so they're buying tickets differently. Uh, make sure you check them out at BookingProtect.com. Talk to Cat, Kath. Haley, anyone over there, you know, we've been partners and friends and colleagues and every um, word for and synonym for team for a very, very long time since I started this thing. So check them out uh, and see how you can offer your partners refund protection. Also, I hope you had a chance to check out my last episode with Martin Gameltoff, where we talked about the Activate email marketing platform from ActivityStream. Uh, Martin, again, one of the original supporters of the Business Fund podcast. Uh, so check out what ActivityStream's up with up to. Uh, Martin's doing some webinars to help teach people about a little bit more about email marketing, You know how you can use some of this data that you have now, some of the trends to look for. If you haven't had a chance, go back, check out the, the podcast. It was a good one. While we're on the topic of market research and using data, I've been hammering you about doing research. And my friends at Eventelect came to me because I was talking about Net Promoter Score. Net Promoter Score is this just incredible one-number metric that allows you to judge the health of your business. We put together a worksheet that you can get by emailing me. It's my name, Dave at DaveWakeman.com. I'll send it to you. 
right? Of Intellect has a 77, the Talking Tickets newsletter, which I put out every Friday, and you can get it at talkingtickets.substack.com, is at 66. Those are outstanding numbers, right? 77 is comparable to Starbucks. I think Tesla's up there. Like all these products that people really, really love. So that just really speaks to how great uh, Eventelect is as a partner. 66, I'm a little bit less of a great partner with the Talking Tickets newsletter. Um, that's a joke. Uh, I'm a great partner as well. But it's a fantastic number. If you can measure it over time, you can see how your business is progressing, growing, or contracting. It's an early warning sign in a lot of ways that you're going to either see some growth or you're going to hit roadblocks. So check that number out. It's a fantastic thing. The research or the resource and worksheet are easy to use. It's three questions and you can get a ton of incredible data, qualitative and quantitative data. It's really, really awesome. It takes you about 10 minutes to put together the research, but the insights are just tremendous. So check that out. Send me an email, dave at davewakeman.com. So back to Scott. So we talked, when we set this up a few weeks back, uh, I've been connected to Scott for a while, never really had a chance to talk to him. Uh, you know, so I wasn't sure exactly what to expect. And so I wrote pages and pages and pages of notes. And um, honestly, I don't know if I got through any of them because I was going to ask all these other questions because I the, the book it hit me somewhere. Um, or it touched me in a way that, you know, sometimes this stuff doesn't do. And so we talked about it, mostly about life. And, you know, again, I walked away from it feeling like I knew Scott a lot better. And that, like, you know, at some level, you know, we kind of knew each other as people more than you often have, have happened in a setting like this. Um, so we covered a lot. And, you know, the book is a lot about adversity. Um it's a lot about a lot of personal stories. You know, at the very, very start of the podcast, I talk about how it's it's an accessible book, but the message is very timeless. But the thing that really like stuck with me is that it's rooted in all of these lived experiences from these people, uh, like Scott or uh, LTW, who is the PR person for Harris Blitzer. Um, you know, he talks about Elton Brand and his. You know, and some of the people that work for the organization that have dealt with racial profiling in the past. Uh, you talked about uh, meditation. We spend a lot of time talking about meditation and mindfulness and the impact that's had on our lives. Uh, we talk about, you know, the difference between being right and being effective. Uh, we tell a couple stories that really, I think, set that up and help you understand that really, really well. We talk about a, a, just an incredible woman by the name of Dr. Karen Gordon. Uh, we talk about actually like Scott's daughter's basketball team and my son's soccer team. And I share a few stories. Scott shares a few stories. Um, we talk about uh, Jack Welch makes, makes a, uh, an appearance. We talked about uh, this part of the book where it's like, what would you put on a T-shirt if um, you know you were trying to convey a positive message to the world so that when you went out, you assume positive intent and that people, when they engaged you, would assume positive intent. Uh, we talked about process and vision. We talked about, um, we did talk about some sports business things. We talked about, um, you know, the fragility of life. And we talked about how Scott would write the book differently if he started out writing it now. I mean, there's just a lot here. It was, to me, the time flew by. Uh, I think we could have probably gone a lot longer. Um, you know, it, it really, to me, felt a little clunky to do the sports business conversations at the end. But I'm really, really excited to share this conversation with you. Uh, you know, it, 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 you know I, I, I don't know why. It just this one really, like, sticks with me. So without anything else from me, uh, this is my conversation, conversation with Scott O'Neill. Right. I'm excited to have Scott O'Neill from the Philadelphia 76ers, the New Jersey Devils, Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment on the pod. Scott, how are you? I'm amazing. I'm happy. I'm healthy. Uh, we're in knee deep in the playoffs with the Sixers right now, which is always fun. 
Um, but I'm, I'm generally feeling upbeat and positive. Good. That's, that's great to hear. Um, I was just telling you before we started this thing uh, that I, I finished your book last night and you just have a book out called, let, let me not mis, misstate the title. It's be where your feet are. Is it, did, I, did I nail that? Yes. You no? nailed it. You Perfect. Nailed good. It. And I was up to one o'clock in the morning finishing it so that I made sure that I wasn't a completely in the dark when I talked to you today, but I really enjoyed it. And I think the message is really good for people right now because we've really had to deal with some super heavy stuff the last 15 to 18 months. Um, there's still a lot of uncertainty in the world. And, you know, the message I think you and the stories you share are really important to people. So most of the conversation, I think we'll stick around that. But um, I'm sure we'll get into some sports biz too, because that's what people want to hear from us. Um, but the first question I want to ask you is, you know, knowing what we've dealt with, a lot of the topics in the book cover things that are um, accessible and timeless, uh, but it's written from a point of view of a lived experience. If you were starting the book now, what would change or like, what would you highlight more? Because you did, you were able to touch on some of the things about the pandemic, but it didn't get too heavily into it. Yeah. Good, good thought. Um, you know, I feel like now I see a light at the end of the tunnel. And for the first time in 14 months, it's not an oncoming train. And I feel like if I were writing it from the perspective of right now, I would be talking much more about two things. One is hope. Um, I love the notion of hope. I love the notion that tomorrow will be better than today, which will be better than yesterday. And I love laying out a vision for what we can accomplish and what will come and the positiveness around that. The second thing I think I would have better crystallized is that the world is struggling, that there are mental health issues and challenges everywhere um, from my own home um, to my office, to the young men and women that I work with at my church, to uh, str strangers, to, to good dear friends of mine who, and it, it's, you know, I, I've been working on this formula that I talk about at work all the time, and I, I, I think I would have included it. I, I talk about do something for your mind, something for your body, something for your soul every day. Um, get the right amount of sleep, practice gratitude, and put your phone down, keep your head up, which is be where your feet are. Yeah. And, and, and I think like I think it's simple, but, but not easy. Um, there's something for your mind, something for your body, and something for your soul every day. To me, is the must do. That's what like gets you on the ground floor. That just gets you stability. And we've got to get the heart rate going 20 minutes a day. We have to listen to a great podcast like this or listen to a TED talk or listen to read an article, like learn something outside of your core job. And the soul is the one part that's complicated for people to talk about. It isn't for me, but it is oftentimes at work. And I, I'm not going to ask you to go to church or read scriptures or get on your knees and pray. Um, or unless that works for you, that's terrific. It works for me. But you've got to find some stillness in your life. I mean, you have to listen, sit outside and listen to the birds chirp in the morning. You have to go on a walk in the woods by yourself. You, you have to do yoga or meditate. Like we have to, we've got to knock out uh, all the noise. And then the sleep part, I grew up in an era where my bosses would tell me things like sleep is for the week, you know, or <clears throat> money never sleeps and all this craziness. And they were wrong. Like they were just flat out wrong. And so it was like, you don't need more than four hours of sleep. You actually do need more than four hours of sleep. You actually need between six and a half and eight and a half hours of sleep, depending on who you are. And, um, and our minds need time to rest. Our bodies need time to rest and heal. And I think our soul needs time to rest and heal too. And then the gratitude part, you know, is, you know, if, if you're, if you're listening to this podcast, I'd love for you to just to hit pause and, and just send your mom a text and tell her that you love her and you appreciate her. And one thing you learned from her being the first time I did that, uh, I do this a lot of times when I speak to groups and I always do it with them. I take 60 seconds. I say, 60 seconds, go do your thing with your mom. And the first time I said my, to my mother, she was like, hun, is everything okay? And I'm like, oh man, I, I'm better than this. I'm better than this. And like the world needs more gratitude and appreciation and check-ins and coming out of COVID, I would have been much stronger if I were writing now just saying like, Hey, reach out to a phone, a friend. Remember that, that show, Regis Philbin, mm -hmm. phone a friend. Like you got a chance. Like, you have someone's going to pop in your mind over the course of the day. That is the universe saying that person needs to hear from you. Or if not, if you don't have that prompting, a mentor, a teacher, a coach, someone you work for, someone you work with, a perfect stranger, a, you know, a cousin, an aunt, an uncle, a mom, a dad, like 60 seconds a day, send something out positively into the universe and check in on somebody. And then the, the 
phone down, head up, be where your feet are. We just, um, it's better for our mental health. You know, in, in my office, we have uh, a table when you walk in, it's a cell phone table we call it. And, um, and when you come in, even if you're 23 years old and haven't had your phone away from you in eight years, you actually have to sit your phone on the table and walk into the meeting. Because I want you to look to your right and look to your left, because this is what we're missing. The world has become like a giant elevator. And you remember we'd be in elevators and nobody would talk. Everyone just looks down at their shoes. Mm-hmm. That's how the world is now. And I, and I think we need to look to the left and say, hey, you know, how was your partner's uh, uh, party last night? Sorry, I missed it. Hey, your uh, daughter scored a winning goal. Hey, what did that look like? Hey, uh, I understand your husband um, uh, ran a marathon yesterday. Like, but there's none of that anymore. There's no small talk. Like, we literally just sit on our phones. And I don't even know what we're scrolling to look at. What are we looking at? Twitter right. again? Like checking scores for the 15th time, checking emails, text. By the way, you do not have to respond to a text in 10 seconds. It's okay. It's going to be there. And so I think we got to, we, we, we have to find discipline. We do. We just have to find it. So, so that'd be, that'd be what I'd be driving. No, I, I think those are great lessons. And this idea that you talked about with the stillness and the, in the soul, uh, that was one of the things I had mentioned to talk about here because you talk about meditation, right? And when I was in school, um, you know, we can talk, we'll talk about the school thing in Villanova a little bit later because um, I, yeah, my wife went to Villanova about the same time you did. Yeah. Um, And she got, um, uh, Georgetown was one of her top schools too. And they turned her down. And so like, you know, so I was like two of my favorite people got shut down by Georgetown. What's their problem? (laughs) (laughs) But I took a religion class at the university of Alabama and the lesson that I learned, and that's stuck with me now for who God knows how long is that it doesn't matter what you believe in, as long as you believe in something and you have a place to be still with yourself and reflect and like, you know, ground yourself. And so the meditation part aspect that you talk about has, was really powerful. And, you know, it it stuck with me because that's one of the things I picked up during the pandemic to help me get through. And it sometimes helps a lot more than others, you know, and and that just tells me I need to do more. Did you struggle with it? Or meditation? Yeah. Did you just pick it up and go? you know, I go through phases where sometimes I'm really good at it. And then other times I can't get a decent meditation session to save my life. Right. So I heard Anderson Cooper talking about a book from John Kabat-Zinn and now I can't find it's on the desk over there. And, you know, he said, it doesn't matter. It's the practice. And like, it's like, it's like a rep. It's like going to the gym. So every time you pause and you catch yourself like wandering or your mind moving, you reset yourself and that's like a repetition and that's all that matters is, you know, it's not being perfect. It's just being in the moment and being, I love that. Of your thoughts. It's so true. And really yeah, and just, and notice your thoughts and be okay with like your mm-hmm. mind wandering. Just notice that they are wandering. I, I have such a hard time sitting still. I mean, you'll see on this, yeah. on this, even on this pot, I'll be, I'll be <laughs> bouncing around. And, um, and it's so like, it's, it's, I've just come to, to recognize the value in stillness and, and the discipline for me, Sometimes it's even before I go to bed, I will sit and go through my breathing exercises and begin to meditate as a way to mm-hmm. calm myself down. When I wake up in the morning, I do the same thing. Cause if I get in the day, it's very hard for me to, to, to try, but I, I couldn't agree more about the value. And, and, um, in the book, I talked about this, but a, a coach of mine, uh, an old executive coach, uh, Trisha Nadoff, um, was, was pressing me and at a time in my career where I, w- I just wasn't ready to hear it. And I was working in New York at Madison square garden. And that was a, a big busy place and hustle and bustle. And I, when she told me to meditate, I literally laughed out loud. And, um, and now I laugh at myself, you know, I mean, I can't even imagine not, not um, finding that practice and discipline. And, and I, and to make matters worse, I, I read a book. I'm, I'm maybe the, the only man in the world to, uh, to read the book, eat, pray, love. Um, but I, I, <laughs> I love the book by the way, which is, even, and I watched the movie and like, and they're like, you're the only one. I'm like, I know, I know. I was going to say, if you watch the movie, then we would really be in trouble. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, and, I, and I totally dig it too, which is even worse. And, and watching, you know, uh, the character, listening, reading about the character, struggling to meditate. And, and like, that was my first, like, okay, I, I just need to, I need to, to find, find my stillness. Yeah. It, it is like, I won't say the change is instant or instant when I did it, but, you know, it was pretty quickly when I noticed that I, I was, um, able to check, you know, check those moments where I kind of, um, and you call it assume where I wasn't assuming positive intent. That's so right. those, you know, and I was able to catch myself and which I think is probably the really, um, 
the, the, I think you, you know meditation's working is when you can catch yourself not reacting or being able to step back from something that might trigger you or get you started or, you know, just get, you know, just riled up because there's so many triggers right now. Like you said, you know, the world is sort of in a spot where we are struggling, you know, and even the best of us, I think, are probably struggling. Like you said, your family, I mean, it's like, we're doing really well over here at my house as well. But the thing is, we're still struggling. It's still not easy. Yeah. Yeah. You see people was, we're not, pain. we're not meant to do this, right? We're not, we're not, we're not meant to be isolated. We're not meant to be alone. We're not as, as a mm-hmm. species, we're not meant to walk into a grocery store, put a mask on, walk in as quickly as we can, maybe mm-hmm. make eye contact with someone we might know or not really know, mm-hmm. and then get in the car and go home. And that's what we've, we've been bottled up. My kids, they, they, uh, they tease me because They'll see when I get into a stressful situation where I know I'm going to react at home. I go, you know, and then like, okay, <laughs> but but I, I I consciously go into go into some breathing to to make sure that I can I can be a little bit better and be a little less reactive. I mean, I am extremely emotional. Um, I I'm the I'm the one who cries at a sad commercial. I get that from my mom, and um, and I love I I remember I don't know if you remember Jim Valvano's famous speech, but he said yeah, I, it was something like. You know what's a great day? Um, when I laugh, when I cry, and when I can feel emotion or something like that. And I was like, yeah. yes, that's a wonderful yeah. day. And you can feel that kind of emotion. Um, and so I, I have that. And that's not for everybody, as you know. Like, you know, my wife, she's pretty steady. You know, thank goodness. You know, so we have a little yeah. counterbalance. Um, but but I, I definitely have felt the, the, the stillness making a huge difference in my life. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't um, agree more, um, you know, and it's um, to go touch on that assumed positive intent idea, because it came in with the stillness and it came in with all the answers of like how you would address the book if you were starting it now. Um, there was three big lessons that, you know, that, that I kind of stuck with me through the pandemic. And the first one is really like I kept seeing throughout your book. And it's my son's pediatrician. My son just turned 11. Uh, and his his pediatrician, Dr. Christy Hay, she's incredible. And she said, you know, when you're dealing with people, especially kids now, don't think about what's wrong with them. Think about what's happened to them. And, I, you know, and it stuck with me because I was like looking at everybody and I was like, oh, what has happened to them? Right. It's like we live in Washington, D.C. now. You know, it's been like fairly tumultuous in D.C. for the last, you know, several years. And it, it was really, really a tough year. And so looking at that, you know, and that helped me kind of really hook it, hook into the assumed positive intent idea, you know, and it was really, really a cool thing. But the the thing this leads me to, though, is what I really liked, and I tried to do a, several of these um, exercises that you put at the end of the book. The first one is that, um, you know, the t-shirt. And I was like, if I was going to create a t-shirt, and if somebody wants to create one and send it to me, I totally would wear it everywhere. Is we good with an exclamation point? And I love <laughs> I was, that. <laughs> and so I was like, well, this is like totally great. And it was like a really, I thought that was a really cool exercise because I think sometimes it's hard for people to necessarily go into a situation and go, everybody's struggling, but let's assume that if they have ill temper or there's something wrong, it's not about you. They're not mad at you. They're not upset at you. It's just, it's an environment where everybody's been forced to do these things that are unnatural, that just don't mean, you know, aren't meaningful to, you know, or we're not meant to do. And like yeah. being able to do that. I, so I thought that was a very cool thing. I appreciate that. I, I, um, I remember at, at work, I had two thoughts when you were talking, one flashed in my head. I worked with my brother, Matt, my youngest brother, who's just really creative and interesting. He, he sees the world as such a different way, pace and shape than I see it. And it's been a, such a fun counterbalance. Uh, he's consulted with some of my businesses, but we also got to work together in early stage business. And I remember he said, Scott, why don't you try to catch people doing something right today? And I was like, wow, that's such an interesting way to think about it. Like, it's not a new thought, but it was like, you know how sometimes someone says something mm-hmm. when you, that you need to hear at the right time? Oh, yeah. I said, I said, I like that. I said, I will, I will catch people doing stuff right today. And I thought that was like such a, like a game changer for me, API, uh, I'm assuming positive intent is it's, it's like, I know when I'm not doing it better than when I'm doing it, when I'm not doing it, you know, my boss calls and I get uptight right away. Mm-hmm. Or my wife walks in and says, how are things? And I'm like, I'm busy like that. I'm already like, I can catch myself <laughs> when I'm doing something wrong. 
And when I'm doing it right, when I am walking into a situation of what we call palms up, um, yeah. you know, open, I'm open to listening. I'm open to learning. I'm free. I'm not closed off. I don't have my arms crossed in front of me. I don't know the answer already. I'm, I'm truly empty headed. And I want to experience this conversation in its, in its purest form. Um, when I'm that way, you know, my world is better. I am happier. I am more productive. I am more efficient. You know, I'm a better husband. I'm a better dad. I'm a better boss. I'm a better peer. Um, and um, so it's, it's definitely a tool that I think can be employed or deployed in a, in a number of different uh, areas of life. Yeah. And that sort of opens the door to talking about another idea that really, I guess, like you were saying just now, when somebody like hits you with an idea or hits it to you at the right time, and this may be just the right time for me to read your book, because I had been struggling to read books. Um, I'm not sure if you know this guy, but he's been on the podcast before. Tony Knopp, who's the CEO of Ticket Manager, he calls me probably the the best read person in the, in the industry. And I couldn't get through, I haven't been able to get through a book in months. And yours, I, I was able to get through in like a day. All right. Um, yeah. And, but be effective and not just right. And, and oh, like, <laughs> that is like, it's so <laughs> well, I was going to say it's because it, it, it fits me, right? I mean, I, yeah. had, I had to learn how to do this. And, um, you know, you, know you, you tell a couple of stories about how it's impacted you over the years. And, it, you know, and I was like, going, since I started being me and doing cons- a lot of consulting and stuff, I was like, going, you know, the thing is, is like a lot of times you do know the answer. But the thing is, and like, here's a, here's another one of the lessons is uh, my marketing professor is a guy called Mark Ritson, who's famous. He's a, a, Brit, a Brit who lives in Australia. And he taught me a lesson about teaching. And he said, the, the trick to teaching is to flip it so that like the person looks at the microscope the other way through your lens so Ooh, that they can that. see the world the way you see it. What and a it great analogy. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, and I thought about that and I was like, well, this is exactly what Scott had to learn. And what I had to learn was like, how do you flip it so that people can see the challenge, the solution from your point of view or, but through their eyes. And that's really like, you know, at my best, I I figure I'm a pretty good marketer. That's what a marketer does. Right. And I was like, but how do you teach people that? And I was like, that's the key to teaching, you know? So knowing that you've struggled with this and knowing that, you know, I probably still struggle with it. I'm assuming you do as well. How do you teach people this in your, you know, in your organizations? Like, you know, how do you get that? Because it can be a big barrier as you, you know, as you talk about in the book. Yes. You know, we have a wonderful organization that where we have a lot of young flyers and I love young flyers. I'd rather have a young A um, than an older B. Um, And I, and, and with that, comes a whole host of challenges. Um, and, and, I, I, and I do, I, I do love talent. I love uh, working with them, developing them. They're oftentimes ambitious. And when I, when I, I used to be ambitious when I was young, I didn't even know, I didn't even understand the negative connotation around the word ambition. That's how ambitious I was, okay? So, and I was young and I was smart and I could handle myself with people. And I was comfortable talking to a CEO and a janitor. I had range, I had all this stuff. and. Um, and I see that in a lot of our execs today. Um, in fact, I had, I'll tell you about one young man um, who was a high flyer here and ended up leaving. And he was right all the time and very rarely effective. And, and he told me, there's another story in the book about a purple water buffalo, which is just yep. being an extraordinary teammate. And yeah, he sent me a text and he said, you know, I think it's okay to have lions and crocodiles. I think every organization should have them. And I'm thinking like, he needs to read his book again because um, <laughs> he is definitely right a lot, you know, and, and the way the world works is the, the world doesn't pay off on being right. And companies don't get better. If you're right, companies get better. If you're effective, world-class teams get built when people are committed to each other and being effective. And, um, and, and sometimes, you know, we've all been in rooms where the smartest person in the room is like, I got it. It's X, Y, and Z. And you're like, great answer. Thank you for that. Um, we're going to walk through the process. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. what we're going to. We're going to have a little bit of longer lens than the three seconds it took you to get the answer. And by the way, uh, Sally, you are correct. Um, but um, but I, I I think so. W- one thing is is to be really transparent in in just the talk about being right versus effective. Another way is we have to be okay giving and receiving feedback. Mm-hmm. 
you know? And the third thing is, which is in most things, it's like we have to be comfortable looking in the mirror. As I often say, you know, when you point that one finger out at you, you got these three pointing right back at you. And, um, but it, it's a, that's a, that is a very hard discipline. And unfortunately the best teacher is a school of hard knocks and, uh, a trip yeah. down a trip, a, a little trip down memory lane for me. Um, but yeah, I, I've, I've, I've definitely learned that. Um, but do I, do I slip back into my patterns sometimes? Yes. When I'm at my worst, I do that. And that is 100% my worst. I don't have patience. I don't have time. I already know the answer. Do this. And like, you know what? Gen Z's. They don't want to be told to do this. Millennials, they are not interested in working in an organization where the CEO knows everything because they expect access. They expect opportunity. They expect transparency. They expect you to be your authentic self and to create a vision and to, to that's, that's bigger than the mundane job they have. And they want to understand that you care about them and the world personally and that you know them personally. And if I am literally up on my, uh, in my fancy corner office, pointing people in the direction, I won't have a company. And I think that has to go with a lot of us. The social contract now between the young workforce and, and folks my age, 50 years old, it's like this. Hey, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm leaving. When I was young, I would never <laughs> do that job. It's like, I'm not doing this. Yeah. Like, well, how are you going to pay your rent? Like, I'll figure it out. Like, I'm not, I'm no, I'm a no. I'm just a no here, you know? And so I, I think, we, you know, we, the leaders and managers of the world uh, have to figure out that effective gene and we have to find it and we have yeah. to make sure that we're practicing that discipline. Yeah, no, it's like a, um, it, it's just an incredibly important lesson to learn how to be effective, right? Because again, you can have all the, I, I deal with this all the time. People, they'll email me or they'll ask me questions or they'll say something. They'll be like, oh, and, but you know, this is not right. You know that what you're saying is not right. They'll know that like, or they'll, they'll, they'll give me all kinds of things about being right. And I'll, and I'll tell them a lot of times I go, I know the right answer, but the trick is not for me to tell you the right answer. My tr the trick is for me to help lead you to the answer. And most of the time to lead you to the answer in a way that you think you got it yourself, because then, you know, it empowers you, gift. it gives you. Yeah. That's the gift. Sure. And that was like the greatest, the, the greatest thing. It really, open my eyes it was like really like you know and that's again that thing and then mark reinforced it and i was like well this is this like this is the way it's like a lot of times you have to know your audience and you have to be lay them breadcrumbs right it's like et yes when uh you know they laid out the uh reese's, reese's pieces, pieces. Right? yeah exactly and then, like you found you found your way into the door and it, it totally works but this but people have to learn that because when i was and I'm going to put myself in your shoes maybe for a second and say that like when I was about you know, the same age you were when you were maybe dealing with Timbo, I was an awful manager. I was an awful person to work with. I was brutal because I always needed to be right. I didn't understand the value of the team. And I was just like going to sledgehammer people through because it was just like, it, this is how it has to be. And somewhere along the line, I don't know exactly where the thing, the line is maybe around 40, 45, somewhere you realize that like, you can only get so much done by yourself. That's right. And like you have to, you have to take a, I don't know if it's a longer view or just like a more human, human view. And you realize that like, I can get so much more done if I get these people to see the thing the way I want them to see it and help show them how to get better themselves. And I think that's- I, I couldn't like agree more. And I think the, 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 the next level right above that is, is that you step back and you actually recognize that your team is talented enough where they're actually telling you the best way to do it. That, I, mm -hmm. I, I will tell you, like there's nothing more rewarding to run a company and you're reading about something in the media that you had no idea happened, how it happened, what happened, and it's transformation. You're like, huh? We got a lot of things cooking here, but I, I will say my, my first manager experience and I, I, my, I'm a, I'm a son, I'm a product of two leadership development trainers. Like my <laughs> folks are PhDs in leadership design. Like, I mean, I was collating books when I was seven years old. I watched my mom, like, wow, a crowd of Xerox sales managers when I was 13 years old. Like I know this stuff and I'm a manager for the first time. And I, I, I had great examples before that, but but I treated everybody like I need to be treated. I like to be treated, which is essentially like, give me a number, leave me alone. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, that's a, that's how it's a, that does not work. It works for some yeah. <laughs> who are exactly like you. So you're going to work on, you'll do really well for 20% of the population. And then you recognize like, holy moly. Okay. I need a bigger toolbox. I need to mm -hmm. figure out 
how I'm going to work with different personality types. And then, because if you don't, you end up people, people hiring people exactly like you are. And you want to talk about a recipe for failure and disaster. <laughs> Try replicating yourself nine times with people that work for you. Yeah. It's, it's going to fail. You, know, you, know? you don't need a room full of me. <laughs> no, me, definitely not. Maybe you. Lord help. Not. No, Lord, no. Cover. <laughs> ask, ask, um, you know, ask my wife or my son and they'll tell you, oh, Lord, no. <laughs> No, one's enough. One is completely <laughs> enough. <laughs> That's good. All right. So let me ask you about this one because, I mean, again, there's like lots of stuff. And I, I, I hope everybody buys the book once they listen to us because the, another idea that really, again, I see myself in so many of these things, but this idea of reframing your situation and, you know, failing forward is the way you talked about it. Um, you know, it, it seems that the reframing thing comes up over and over and over throughout the book. And, you know, as a marketer, I'm comfortable with the idea of repositioning and reframing ideas because that's basically what you do about every 12 months if you're doing your job correctly is you go back, you look at your research, you reframe. Um, but let's say that we need to do that in a situation like now. Like you said, we're, you know, the world's struggling. There is hope. Um, but some of the stuff that's happened to people feels unfair or defeating or demoralizing. You know, what, what advice would you give people to people who aren't comfortable doing it? You know, like I'm assuming, you know, you wrote the book on it, so you're comfortable with it. And, I, you know, I'm comfortable I am. With it because I'm, you know, I've gone through some bad situations, too. But how would you teach somebody to, to handle this now? Because I, I think probably a lot of people are struggling with this because it doesn't seem like to make any sense in most cases. Yeah, the, the, the whole notion of changing the race. Um, to me. Um, yeah, yes, I, I do. I'm a, I love change. I, I'm, I'm a bit of a change junkie, if you will. Like, I, I actually, um, I was a bit of a, a, a like a, an awkward fan of Jack Welsh and all his stuff when I was growing up. So I read all his books, even as a young kid. And, and one of the things I loved most <clears throat> about what he did was to move executives from the, you know, aerospace to finance, GA finance and all that stuff. And I, I was just fascinated with that. I do that now with my team and, um, and it's disruptive. Um, and, and their managers oftentimes don't like it, but I always tell their managers, but, but you're in that job. Like she's more talented. So I, I'm not going to sit her. So I'm going to move her. She's going to run marketing now. Like, but she has no experience in marketing. I'm like, she's really smart. She's really talented with people. She's going to figure it out. Um, so I, 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 it is harder for me to understand, um, those who don't get the Jones from change, but I have mm -hmm. two in my house that don't, and I've learned a ton. My youngest daughter, she would, she would still be in first grade if she could, you know, <laughs> she just like every year she cries because we're going on to something new. I'm like, no, that's awesome. New opportunity. You can meet new friends. You can learn new things. No, but I, you know, and so I, I've learned quite a bit. My, my wife, um, if it were up to her, I'd still be in my, my first job. She's like, but it was fun. You know, our friends were there. It was, it was cool. We had the same neighborhood, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I've definitely gone from someone like a change junkie to someone who actually understands that there is anxiety with change um, and that there is, there are people who, who um, would like to be in the same job and, and live in the same house and have the same friends for 20 years. And, I'm, and there's merit to, to both of those. The problem or the challenge with that is, is that life's messy. Um, and I, I would love everything to go well all the time. And I, I would love to have been that 22 year old kid who looked up and said, I am going to the moon and I'm going straight and, I'm going to get promoted and this is going to be awesome. And I'm going to run a company, you know, and I was that young man. And what I learned really quickly was, well, um, I'm going to have an anvil fall on my head. I'm going to trip and fall. I'm going to try to catch a branch and branch and miss fall on my back. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to get fired. I'm going to run a company to the ground. I'm going to, we're going to have miscarriages. I'm going to have trouble with one of my daughters. I'm going to, all this stuff happens. And, and unfortunately, like it's very, it's very hard to predict. Uh, how life's going to be. And those of us that are, have analytical brains and I have one, um, I oftentimes try to predict and project what's going to come next. And, and I'm wrong a lot, maybe way too much. Right. And, and so therefore you have a choice. You can wallow in your misery. I mean, that, that's a choice you can make. <clears throat> you can stay in the quicksand or you can decide to change the race. And that can take so many shapes and forms. Um, and the notion of failing forward to me is so pure because nothing ever great has ever happened without trial and error and failure. It just mm -hmm. doesn't. Yeah. And nothing um, innovative has ever been creative or thought through 
without reams and reams and reams of paper that are in the garbage from mistakes we've made along the way. And if you want to be first, and I like to be first um, in terms of getting out in front, I will tell you, you're going you're gonna to run into that sign head first a few times, you know, that yeah. congratulations, you know, smack dab, you know, and, and, um, and so, you, you know, to, to want to be spectacular, you're going to have to spectacularly fail at times. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and if you want to, and if you're anticipating a, a safe, easy life with no problems, I will tell you, you're, you're an ostrich. You, you are, your head is in the sand because something is going to come at you and it's going to surprise you. And you have to get into that mindset that I'm going to adjust and overcome. And, and sometimes you have to change the race. Sometimes change the races, change jobs. Sometimes it's moving. Sometimes it's simply changing your mindset to say, okay, I understand where I am. I understand where I want to go and I'm going to write a plan to get there. Um, but I, I think the notion of, of failing forward is beautiful. And I don't, I, I had a, a friend of mine, she told me, I don't even know if this is a true story, but I'm going to tell you because it made such an impact on me. She said that, that her mom and dad um, at dinner would go around the table and say, what is something you failed at today? And I love that notion. Yeah. And not you failed at you're a loser, you're miserable, you're not smart, you're dumb. Good for you. You took a mm -hmm. chance. That's the important thing. What lesson did you learn? What a gift we could give to our children as parents. Mm -hmm. Celebrating that. The notion that you can, every failure is this opportunity to learn and grow. I mean, that that is a life-changing game changer. Well, and that opens up, well... I'll, I'll back I'll back up on this thing, but that opens up this idea because you talk about coaching your daughter's basketball team, and I coach my son's uh, recreation soccer team. And awesome. Yeah, and I tell him all the time. He's like, "On work, he's always upset because he can't do something or he doesn't want to try anything new." And I go, "The only way you you learn is by trying things that you can't do, and you every every time you do something, you fail at something or you make a mistake, it's a chance to get better." And so that like, if you think about all the things you couldn't do before, how did you become good at them? You kept trying and, you know, maybe you I got a little better, but then maybe, maybe you messed up, maybe you screwed up, but now all of a sudden you've come all this way. So don't be afraid of failing, be afraid of not trying. And that's the way I teach the kids that I coach, you know, and the kids in a thriving, changing world and the examples you use with your kids was really Again, I wish I had read the book before the weekend because we had a party for the end of the year. And one of the dads came up to me and he goes, you know, Martin talks to me all the time about how Coach Dave comes up to him and he supports him. And he tells him that like he believes in him and he knows exactly like that he can do so much. And all you have to do is just keep trying and pushing. And um, I love just, that. And Coach Dude, Dave, you know, the chills. that had to make yeah. you feel. Yeah, it was like, like I told his, his dad because he scored two goals. It was the first two goals he scored in seven years of playing soccer in like the next to last game. And I told him, I said, Brian, you know, I, I almost cried when Martin scored these goals because he was working so hard and he did these things. And it was so great. Um, you know, and, and, it, and it's like all this stuff, it like, you know, again, we, 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 there was so much of this book that like caught me, but the change thing, the ostrich is something I use in my, in my talk. Are you really? Like, yeah, oh, yeah, I got yes. And the other one I use is really great is, um, but I, I use it in a slightly different way that I won't bore people with until, unless they come see me in person uh, soon. Uh, but Pat Riley, when I was a kid in Miami, uh, was I 20, maybe 21, Pat Riley took over the heat. And he did the commercials because when Pat Riley came to coach the heat, they didn't have any stars. There was no Alonzo Mourning. There was no LeBron and D Wade. And he was the commercial. And it said change. The only thing that's certain in life is change. And when she rears her beautiful face, you embrace her because change is all you have. And that really, like that helped oh, me because I was a 21 year old Dave, uh, you know, didn't know what in the world I was going to do with myself or how I was going to move in the world. And I just knew that like, if Pat Riley said I should embrace change, then that was what I should do. And it's, it's guided me. I mean, for better or for worse, is that like, you should always be pushing forward and falling forward. And that, you know, and that's how I, you know, when I read that, I was just like, well, you know, this, this is like so powerful to me. I love that. I love the notion of, I mean, youth coaching, I, I can talk about way too much. And my, my, um, my measure of success every year is do the girls play the following year. 
That's how I judge by the plane because I want them to fall in love with sport. That's what I want to fall in love with. I want them to understand that competition, like all the values that you need to be successful in life. And I don't, I, when I talk about success, I, it's a very broad vision. My, my version of success is about, it can be financial success or it can be career success and it can be familiar success and it can be community success and it could be spiritual success. So however you define success, the, the, the values to be an extraordinary teammate, and to sacrifice for others, for the good of the team, to lead, to lose, to win, to follow, to sweat, to, to actually want something, you know? I just lo I love, I love the notion of practice, practice, practice. Um, every time we drive past, um, when we're in New York City with my, my daughters, um, I would make it a habit to drive on 57th Street and uh, past Carnegie Hall. And every single time, I'm like, this is a classic dad joke. Every single time I was like, hey, uh, anybody know how to get to Carnegie Hall? And it's literally right there. Like, practice, practice, practice. I'm like, that's right. <laughs> so we have like similar jokes at this point. <laughs> yeah, that's bad. That's, that's probably my better one. You know, that's the problem. Oh. Yeah, that's probably like peak dad joke right there. That's like the only, <laughs> the only good one I have. <laughs> and... and before we touch on that, and then I want to just add, because I know we're going to have to run in a second. Before the, the, A quote that I wrote down here was um, by Dr. Karen Gordon, and it plays into this youth coaching thing, which was like, people will tell you that you are worthless, but don't believe them. And I was like, well, you know, I was like, if I had known about that thing as I was like, coaching the kids, it would have made it like so much more powerful because I would tell the parents at the end and I told the kids, I go, you know something, you've gone through a lot and you've made me so proud, you know, and I'm so grateful that you allowed me to be your coach, you know, and like the, the parents were like, oh, like, oh, misty eyed and stuff. And I was like, Please, yeah. you're embarrassing me. And I thought that was like <laughs> so, <laughs> such the opposite of that quote, because I was just like, oh, I told the parents like individually, I was like, when I wanted their oh, your kids through the pandemic, because that was like the point of the party was like Coach Dave and Coach Paul. They kept yeah. this thing going the whole time, like, you know, when the kids were like couldn't see each other because they weren't in school. And I was like, on. For me, it was important that the kids knew that they had somebody that cared about them that wasn't their family and who always had their back and was concerned for them. And I you know, love and, that. Man, yeah. that is and so then, pure and right. Yeah. And it was like, about, and I felt a little cheesy that saying doctor, it. Does that, no, does that Dr. Karen story blow your mind, though? It I does, mean, yeah. The story is this, this young, this woman who's, who um, she was 13 years old, came from a really accomplished family, and um, she, she, uh, she goes to, her, you know, she's struggling in school and um, she goes to a, I guess, a counselor and the counselor says, you have a learning disability. You'll never graduate from high school, let alone college. Yeah. And, um, and she, now she's has her PhD and has written several books and she's, and she says it's her superpower, which I just love. I love the notion of yeah. like, you know, my superpower is my disability because I can actually identify with children who are struggling and who have issues. I'm thinking like, talk about changing the race yeah like yeah and, and by the way she had these incredible parents who were like hey i don't care about your grades you know what i care about mm -hmm. effort how hard you gonna work i'm like oh what a great lesson like she had so many nuggets and i just man she is a special yeah. special human being but i love the notion of her just saying yeah i'm not only going to graduate from high school thank you but i'm going to go to university mm -hmm. and i'm going to graduate and you know what i think i'm gonna go get my phd and now i'm going to help kids i'm like good for you. Yeah. I mean, think about those messages and lessons that you're teaching these, these kids on the soccer team. It's like, you can't think for a minute that that's not going to impact them. Like that's no, the wonderful thing about coaching and teaching and having young people around you. You, you have this opportunity. They need positive messages. They yes. need positive influences. They need people who love them. They need people who just say, I love you. You are great. You can be something special. Mm -hmm. And they're hearing it at home. Even if they are, they're coming from loving homes. They don't listen to their parents. Right. Like they need somebody else to come. And it's not like their parents are terrible. They're not ogres. They think they are. No, they're not that they're mean. They're not, they took your phone away. They're terrible. No, 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 no. They love you. They're trying to teach you. Mm -hmm. um, but for the rest of us, man, if you can spend a little bit of time mentoring, coaching, if, if, if your daughter has a friend over or your son has a friend over, just sit down, talk to him. Like you can make such an impact. I love that you're doing that. It's amazing. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah, it, it it was, it, it was like, um, through this experience, the last few years, I learned that I like to be a part of a team more than I probably thought I ever, ever did. And it, I mean, it had like such a positive impact on me. 
and it was great you know it was like so great and like seeing these kids with you know be able to be normal in like an abnormal or you know just incredibly trying year was it was really it, it meant a lot to me you know so that it was great and it was cool that you talk about you'll always be there for your daughter's practice and I was like yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I will always be there I I, I I I've delayed many a flight to not miss a, miss my son's ba- uh, soccer games so you know it's, I it's love tricky. it I love it love it love it it's my joy like I watching watching them work and accomplish. You know, it's awesome. And I mean, that's part of the reason even that I've changed, like kind of how I do a lot of my stuff is because I realize even as adults, you need a good teacher. You need a good coach. You need somebody because most of the time, most of us haven't been exposed to a good teacher or a good coach, you know, unfortunately. Right. And, you know, and that's why I I fall so much and I talk so much about Mark Ritson, right. Like who taught me marketing, you know, because I was like, what? having a great teacher is transformative, right? And it's having a great coach, it transforms you, you know, and like the think you have the ability to do that. It, it's just super powerful because it changes not just your life, it changes the other person's life. And it's just so like such a great gift for you and for them. I, I, I mean, I think. Couldn't agree more. Oh, that's powerful. Uh, all right. I know that you're pr- going to be pressed for time. Do I have time for a couple like quick fire sports? Yeah, let's do it. Too? Let's do it. All right. So, the first one is where are we now? Right. Like, you know, I know we've been waiting for things to open up more fully. Um, there's been the idea that there's like demand, like nobody's ever seen before and all this stuff, but where, where are we at? Like from your point of view, because I've been running a survey with sports biz people all over the world. And it's a little bit from the research I get back is up and down. Right. Uh, you know, and I'm curious to see what you're seeing. Well, I think the most important thing is we, we found our why. I, and I think that is the that that may have been lost in the shuffle over the last decade or so. And mm-hmm. and the why I think the clarity of the why, which is we are here to <coughs> excuse me bring people together. We're here for connection. We're here for escapism, for love, for building community. We're here to make you stand up and scream and shout and clap and high five a perfect stranger. Um, and that is a gift. And we need to spend more time appreciating the role and the gift that we have and celebrating that why, because I think it, it, it matters more now than ever. So I think that's where we are as, a, as an industry. Where we are in terms of um, the business, it depends. I mean, it depends. Um, we are, we're V-shaping back. We have very strong brands. Um, we were very fortunate. We didn't lay off or furlough staff like many of my peers did. Um, I kept talking about keeping the machine intact is that as a phrase, mm-hmm. just probably such like too clinical phrase to use, but we, we have this incredible sales and marketing machine. I want to keep it intact. And, and we did, fortunately. And so we're, we're going to have a V-shaped recovery. I do ha- I love the notion of the roaring twenties. I really do. I'm not sure it's going to happen the way it did in the 1920s, but mm-hmm. I like the notion of it. I like, I don't like what followed, but I, I love the notion of, um, letting our hair down and and going out and and dancing our way through the streets of life mm-hmm. i i want more laughter i want more fun i want more joy um, i want more connection i think we're seeing several people high high profile people in our industry stepping away uh, we saw that with coach k we saw that with danny ainge um, we saw that with rick weld some of the like powerhouses in our industry mm-hmm. and i think it's just we barely scratch the surface because i think we're all asking ourselves like I'm working 150 yeah. nights a year for what, for who, for like a famous, like uh, Philadelphia saying was Ricky Waters way back in the night, mid nineties saying for who, for what. And, um, and I think we are, we'll see a lot of that. And I don't think anyone's going away. I think we're all thinking about challenging the very notion of today and mm-hmm. thinking about how we create a better, more effective tomorrow uh, for ourselves, for our families, for our communities, for our organizations and for those we touch. Uh, but but this is a it's a very special industry. I I have so much hope for the future. The talent streaming into this industry, I would have never gotten a job in this business right now. I mean, the talent coming in yeah. is off the charts. They're smart and connected and driven and hardworking, and they have all this incredible pedigree. They have multiple internships, and they're they're focused and fun. And I I I think I think the sky's the limit. Yeah, and so. Let me ask you this then, you know, how are the measures of success changing? You know, what have you changed yours or like, are you changing them for the organizations? You know, what does success look like now? 
Well, personally, for sure. Um, professionally, uh, you know, again, we were very fortunate. We had we had liquidity, so we didn't have to scramble to banks like a lot of the organizations did. Um, we have a really supportive board. We um, we have a stacked management team that's been together. I mean, we remember we, when I started this organ, when I came to this organization, we had mm-hmm. a team as a tenant in the building, and now you know it's grown six times in value. We have an esports team, a elevated sports marketing company. We have a venture fund, a real estate company. We bought a couple of theaters, opened a grand museum, built a training complex, bought the Devils and Prudential. I mean, blah blah blah. Um, so so this is an organization that's built for chaos. And we're built for action and we're built for change. And so for us, this was um, heightened awareness and certainly more action around just because of the life or death nature of, of what we were walking into for the first time. But in terms of the muscle that we've been had built up, this, this organization was, was made for that. So for us, um, we, we walked right into can do mode, which I love. I love about the, the team here. So I, so we didn't, we didn't have too much, there wasn't too much of a stretch. I mean, we had infrastructure in place, people in place and process in place. And is there been any final question? Has there been anything that surprised you as things have come back? Yes, a lot. Um, mostly the fr- fragility of um, egos, confidence and mental health. And I underestimated, I underestimated its impact on all of those. Yeah. And, and as a, as a leader, I'm, I, I wish if I could turn back the clock, I would do a lot less tactically mm-hmm. and I would have done much more. Um, I, I would have, I would have led differently. I would have led much more with love and understanding and compassion and, uh, and a little less, you know, when you get into change situations, you've been in them, I've been in them. You definitely are directing traffic um, yeah. a little bit more. Your pace, your pace picks up, your um, your style changes mm-hmm. to adapt to the situation. And I, I, I definitely would have taken a closer look at, at, at my how. Yeah. No, that, and that makes sense. It was somebody said, oh, this is so basic. And I was like, oh, but I, I had to manage people through 2008. And I understood all those mistakes I made. And I was like, oh, the first thing you have to do as a leader in an organization is just be able to pause and get people a chance to breathe because yeah. they're overwhelmed and they're afraid. And, I, you know, some people I, I saw that, that was a big problem for them still. And I was like, oh, it is basic, but people don't do it anyway. And it's, you know, so I, you know, I, I mean, hopefully we all when we make mistakes, because we all do, we just get better at, at for sure. at not make them not- again. But Scott, how can people find you on the internet and where can they find your book? Sure. Well, you can find my book at Amazon and Barnes and Noble, of course. But what I'd really like you to do is go to an indie bookstore. Um, Wall Street is crushing Main Street right now. Um, the small businesses are getting tattooed. So if you could buy from a local bookstore, I think it'd be wonderful. Um, on Online, you can find me on Twitter at Scott O'Neill, at LinkedIn as well, Scott O'Neill. I would love to connect with you. Um, buy the book, be where your feet are, and uh, send me a note. Love to connect. And Dave, you're amazing. Awesome. Truly amazing. <laughs> Let me know what you thought about my conversation with Scott by sending me an email. It is my name, David, DaveWakeman.com. Check out the newly relaunched DaveWakeman.com. It looks amazing. My designer, Yasmin, did a fantastic job to make me look like a true professional. Make sure you sign up for the newsletters there. There is a link. Now, you can just put your email address right in that link, or you can sign up at talkingtickets.substack.com or send me an email at daviddavewakeman.com. I will get you on everything. Uh, Next couple weeks, now that I'm back from holiday, there's going to be a lot of new exciting things coming up. Um, One way to find out is make sure you keep an eye out on bookingprotect.com. Check in with my friends at Booking Protect. We have some stuff in the works. Refund protection has been being taken up at a rate that is twice what it was before the pandemic started. Uh, That tells me specifically that people want the peace of mind that refund protection provides. So talk to Kat, Kat, Haley, Simon, anyone from Booking Protect. You know they're some of my favorite people in the world. They will hook you up and treat you right. Uh, They will show you how you can use refund protection to treat your customers better. They do fantastic customer service and it generates a new stream of revenue for you. Also, if you haven't heard already, I did a worksheet with my friends at Event Um 
I did some market research a while back, started talking about Net Promoter Score. Patrick Ryan, CEO of Eventelect, reached or co-founder of Eventelect, reached out to me. He said, hey, we did some research and we found out our Net Promoter Score is 77. I was blown away because that is an amazing NPS score. So we put together a worksheet so you can understand how to do research. Both Patrick and I know the power of research. We understand how important research is to understand what your customers value from you, and it allows you to understand how to provide value in the future. So send me an email, daviddavewakeman.com, and I will send you a copy of that worksheet that I created in partnership with Eventelect. It's an awesome thing. It's simple. It's about three pages, but it tells you how to do the research the way I do it. It teaches you how to understand what you're doing, and it gives you a foundation to do research and understand what your market and what your customers think about you, feel about you, and how you can provide better service to them. And then finally, I want you to check out my friends at ActivityStream. They have launched a new product called Activate that helps your email marketing uh, turbocharge. The same way that the artificial intelligence engine that drives the ActivityStream platform helped you create magic moments, now as people are coming out of the pandemic or starting to make plans to come out of the pandemic, it is possible to use your data to re-engage your audience, to better engage your audience, and to make your email marketing much more effective. So check them out at activitystream.com. As always, I want to thank you so much for being here and listening, and I'll look forward to talking to you again soon now. Hopefully now we're going to start to be like back to normal. So take it easy, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>